0: You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is the Summer Series, Episode 6.
1: Silicon Boone is a singer-songwriter from central Kentucky who seems to live in both the future and the past at the same time. With his signature high-lonesome tone, he sings about outer space and has a way of finding universal human themes in the furthest reaches of the galaxy. In fact, his debut album is appropriately called the reaches. Silicone, or Sam, as his friends call him, talks to me about growing up Amish, the optimism of Carl Sagan, and his more recent obsession with the mythology of the 19th century American West. Here's my conversation with Silicone Blue. Hey, it's John Mark McMillan. And I'm here talking to Silicone Boone, also known as Sam. So if I say Silicone or Sam, I want you to know I'm talking to the same person, more or (laughs) less. (laughs) Man, Sam, thank you so much for doing this interview. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay, you're, you're one of my favorite songwriters. Like, I mean that 100%. Right. Well, I appreciate that, and it's mutual. And we were, we'd were we met before I knew you even made music.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: And so I already liked you. We were already friends, right? And we had mutual friends. And then I heard you play a song. We were at a thing. We were at some event, and you were doing a sound check. I heard you play a song, and I, I just felt emotional, immediately emotional. And it wasn't one of those things like, oh, One of my friends is doing something cool. I'm just so proud. It was one of those things like, oh, my God, I wish I was doing something that (laughs) cool. (laughs) Well, you're too kind. Thanks, you know,
0: I I guess. Was that when I did Born?
1: Yep, it was. And I don't know if I've told you this before, but I played one of your songs to some pretty famous songwriters. And I'm not going to say who they are. I'm just going to say they're like massive songwriters. And, uh, <laughs> and they literally cried. Oh, man. <laughs> they literally teared up. <laughs> One of these guys is literally, he might be the most successful songwriter that I've ever oh, wow. had. I'm sure he's made millions, like literal millions writing songs. I'm not going to say who he is because this podcast isn't about him. Yeah. This podcast is about you. But literally, literally cried. I was thinking today, you, you know, <laughs> this is a little bit of a hard uh, left turn here, but the greek philosopher pythagoras right you remember pythagoras from the pythagorean theorem in high school
0: i don't remember much about it you'd have to remind me yeah
1: i don't remember the theorem but pythagoras was a mathematician and a philosopher and he had this uh theory he called the music of the spheres which he called, I'm going to read this, Pythagoras described the music of the spheres of celestial philosophical symphony in which the sun, moon, and planets influence the goings-on of Earth with their inaudible hums, possibly like sympathetic strings. So he thought that maybe the planets were uh, basically um, vibrating and that what was happening with the sun and the planets was somehow made what happened on the earth and that what was happening on the earth was sort of a reflection or a sympathetic vibration to what was happening otherwise Hmm. and obviously he was proven wrong well but i think what's (laughs) sorry go ahead
0: no i mean it sounds a little bit like string theory maybe for at least for the people who run with it in like metaphysical senses yeah
1: yeah Yeah, totally. It may be like early string theory. But anyway, I thought, you know, it's interesting how from like ancient times, humans have been filling outer space with imagination and music. Mm. You know, in the last, you know, like 100 years, you have Gustav Holst, right? Um, Who composed, you know, music in the theme, themes of the different planets. I thought about David Bowie and the space oddity. And then most recently, you have Sufian did yeah. a, a band called Planetarium. Yeah. They did a project based on the planets and things in the solar system. And then Sleeping At Last did an album called Astronomy. And I think this is really interesting. It's, space is not something that uh, most people think, uh, think of as being like a popular subject in music. But throughout time, there have been these individuals who have done or written songs inspired by space. When did you first start writing music about outer space?
0: Uh, I think the first song I wrote about outer space was probably in 2002. I, I can't quite remember when I read Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot, but it was like the next song I wrote. Actually, the next two or three songs I wrote were about space. Yeah. I was so... I guess deeply impacted by his vision of, of what the future could look like. I mean, I was I I was more or less a convert, if you want to
1: put it that way, you know. It felt like conversion to me. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of what was his vision of the future, of what the future could look like?
0: Well, I mean, he was very optimistic, I think, uh, which is which I find kinda of unique for atheists, not that they're all pessimists, but uh I, I found his optimism um i don't know fascinating and catchy really i mean it, it caught me and so his view of the future of space would that basically if we could get past this potential for killing ourselves with with the bomb or with the pandemics or whatever we might yeah. you know facilitate that um putting our our best foot forward in terms of exploration and yeah, planet formation, whatever, that we could basically populate the galaxies. And you know, he had this little famous thing where he said, in 10,000 years or whatever, uh, you know, if humans are in space, which we either will be or will be dead, is kind of what he was thinking. But in 10,000 years, when people look back, the uh, the United States of America will have one line in the history books. Not that there'll be history books. Then there'll be something else. <laughs> but he said the one line will be that we were the first people to the moon, and he was, wow. and that'll be, that'll sum up the American history right there. <laughs> you know, so yeah. his view his view of the future was very big, and and but he he basically thought that if if people put their uh, their best foot forward in terms of of reaching towards science and good things rather than war and whatever that we would overcome. So I thought that was very persuasive. Yeah. maybe a a bit idealistic.
1: That makes so much sense when I read a lyric to a song like Found You. Right. And then you talk about the optimism, you know, Sagan's optimism about the future. Yeah. You know, and like I see a direct line, at least I do, between that song and the way you described Sagan's vision Mm -hmm. of the future. Can you talk a little bit about that song yeah. It's such a an emotional song. For
2: but me. I ain't worth much, my face is far too calming. You could stack me up, steel I'd be forgotten. And I've never found a place among the chosen. Oh, but I roll the wave that gives the world its motion,
1: yeah.
0: Found You is one of those, you know, once-in-a-decade kind of song, and I think it's why it's so popular. I mean, it, on my Spotify, it has 90% of all my plays, I think. Yeah. Uh, as in, it, the rest of the eight songs hold 10% or less, you know? Yeah. But Found You, I was writing a space record. I would written a lot of songs already, and I had a buddy, Brent, who said, hey, are you putting out a space record, and you're not going to deal with E.T.? <laughs> and I thought oh my god he's right because I certainly believe there's something out there beyond us you know I I, I I have no evidence for it but I yeah I'm like nearly certain about it well I wouldn't say certain but I'm very persuaded of, of it but so I was like oh man so I started toying with ideas of what to write um, you know the concepts you know what that's like trying to write like okay w- you know in my head what kind of concept do I want to go down and so I I uh, I began with to toy with this. First, I was thinking of describing the E.T., and every time I thought about that, it was like, ah, oh, this just feels bad. It feels sophomore. Um, no matter what I say, it felt really cartoonish. And I'm like, I can't do that. And then I started toying with the idea of, of what would it be like to be the human being to make first contact with a life that has all the history we have, you know? all the 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 glory and the failures and and all that and what would it mean to make that connection
2: oh, the first
0: once I got in that spot the song could just kind of poured out in me yep. and I think you can feel that right because it was this feeling of like I, I put myself in the shoes of whoa, which I think we can all relate to of just being insignificant and being like does my life really matter and then going from that to being the human being to actually change uh, our trajectory our history's trajectory you know like yep. like now we know there's more out there mm-hmm. and so the song has that weight on it yeah so it feels religious in that regard yep. and I, I think that's on purpose yep
1: well well i think you took an idea and you you took a song about aliens and you made it about a relationship yeah mm-hmm. right and so that's the true. song sings like a love song right a worship song sure and you know and in a sense it is like you know things always sort of speak of one another right
2: Mm -hmm.
1: i had a friend one time who told me he's like everything means more in the context of relationship right because that's what matters the most to human beings is it when Mm -hmm. it is relationship you know it's true it really is like and so he's like anything you talk about and talk about in the context of a relationship it means more Mm -hmm. and so the idea of i found you you're singing about I discovered a new race. I don't know. You know another. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're singing about discovering alien life, but you also discover yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right in the song. Mm-hmm. And so, like, oh yeah. Really, <laughs> if you ask me, what Sam finds, if you're the character in the story, is Sam. Mm-hmm. And and you find the significance. You know, because all the verses are about insignificance, but you only need, you need whole verses to describe insignificance, but you only need three words to describe your significance, which is I've found you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's mind-blowing. And that's the genius of that song. Other than like the fact that the melody is insanely catching. And in my opinion, your voice just tells this story really well with just the tone and the way you sing it. Well, yeah,
0: there's, it's clear that song connects with people. It most people find me through it, um, most people that find Silicon Boom find find me through that song. Yep. You know, yep. Um, I'm hoping that's not always the case. I mean, not that I don't love the song, but yeah. you know, I'm hoping I write other good stuff. You know, that people <laughs> well, totally, people and are I, I, I totally by. understand
1: that. I have similar um, <laughs> issues with the way people find my music too, right? You know, so I can definitely sympathize. Well, let's take a little bit of a, a left turn here. Okay. When did you start writing music at all? Like, what what made you want to start writing?
0: I'd say, I mean, honestly, what made me start was probably just a little bit of loneliness. So uh, we were ex amish you know that, and yep. we were just we were an odd family. Uh, I didn't know we were odd. I mean, when you're a kid, you don't you don't think in those terms. Uh, maybe you do a little bit, but yep. not in any kind of sophisticated way. And we were very isolated. And someone gave my mom and dad a a piano. Now, my mom and dad would have never bought one. They would, they would have never bought an instrument, period. They didn't think in those terms. Yeah. And so someone said, hey, Levi, hey, Miriam, we have a piano we're gonna throw away. Would you guys want it? We'll bring it to your house. And they said, sure. So we get this piano for free. And it's so old that the, the ivory part of the keys are coming off and there's glue. You know, there's glue underneath. Uh-huh. And uh, by the time I left the home, I I don't think there was a single ivory key left on the piano. They had all fallen off, you know. And uh, But I I was 11 or 12 at the time, and I had time on my hands. We didn't have TV. We didn't have video games. We didn't have um, cable, nothing. You know, not even satellite. And so I started playing music, and I found that it made me happy you know, yeah. like it just made me feel good, yep. and so I started, I, and here's another thing, John Mark, I don't know what your experience was like, I've never been a great instrumentalist, I'm still not that great, I'm okay, I can I can make a sound that's mine, which I think is the most important thing for an artist, if you make your own sound, I think that's the most important thing, but what I was never good at was singing someone else's song and sounding good, because I wasn't that great instrumentally, hmm. and so early on, I didn't mimic because I wasn't good at it, I just started writing. Yeah, I just started making my own sound because I found if I made my own sound, I didn't judge it as hard. Like if I sat down and tried to play a song I'd heard on the radio, I'd be like, "Oh man, that sounds horrible. I'm no good at it." Right, but if I just made something up, it I didn't judge it hard. Yep. you know, it was just like, "Oh, this is, this is my own, whatever." And so that would be, yeah, that's how I started.
1: Yep. And that, when was that? How long ago was that?
0: Oh God, Now it was thirty years ago,
1: yeah, yeah. what's your first experience with music? like where did you when, when did you hear music for the first time? Like obviously you love music, right? I
0: do. so yeah, we, we would have been in the Amish church would have been the only time I ever heard music for the first uh well for the first half of my childhood. So the Amish don't use instruments and they only use vocal. and by the way, man, you know, I got that unique vocal style. I used to think it was mostly rooted in Appalachia but it's not it's rooted, it's, it's rooted in the Amish. Wow. Which now makes sense cuz you think well the first you know x amount of years when my brain is forming this is the only kind of vocal style I heard and and the Amish have a distinct vocal style. You can go on YouTube and you can put in Amish singing you'll hear it. Especially what they do is they have callers and then the congregation responds and the callers so the caller it is usually a high vocal like mine, and it's always a male, and but it's it's geared like exact, it's fitted just for my kind of vocal, for where my vo- voice sits. Yep. And you'll hear this male voice just call out, and it's coming out of nowhere, and it's it's really beautiful. And he he'll throw his voice, he'll throw it with these little I don't know what the technical term for music is, but he doesn't just hold a melody line. It'll go up and down underneath the melody, and back up to it. You know. And so that's how they sing, but they sing like that because they don't have instruments and they haven't had instruments for four or 500 years that they've been doing this. And so over time, they've developed a style of singing that's unique to their own. And, you know, I, my, my dad, he um, he lives far away from me, but a, I remember a couple of years ago, he came down to visit and I got together with some friends and I was like, we're going to make some music. So we made music and I, of course, I sang a lot. We were just, it was kind of bluegrass kind of music, right? But I sang a lot. And afterwards, I hear my dad tell my mom, well, uh, he he sings like I do. (laughs) (laughs) But really, really what's happening is we sing like the Amish.
1: Yeah. I think think something I heard recently that's really interesting is that Chinese kids are much more likely to have perfect pitch than Western kids. Because the Chinese language uses tones, oh, it
0: does. That's so true. Yeah, it's so true,
1: yeah. you'll have one word in four tones. They mean four entirely different
0: things, right. That makes perfect sense to me, because see, I love watching Asian films, so they'll sing their words, really. They kind of yeah. sing them,
1: yeah, yeah. that's and so cool. apparently the word for mother, uh, if I'm if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, the word for mother, has a specific tone, and if you use another tone, it means, like, horse or something. And so... (laughs) But it's the same sound, it's just different
0: tone, yeah.
1: Yeah, the first word they learn is this tone, and they have to sing it at that exact pitch. So they learn pitch while they're kids. And apparently, you have to learn perfect pitch as a child, or you never get it. And so, I feel like I read that somewhat, like, close to 40% or some astronomical number something like 40 or 50% of all chinese musicians have relative or perfect pitch
0: that's crazy well i believe it though i mean i believe in epigenetics too so it would make sense to me if generation upon generation that's what they're doing yeah
1: yeah it would make sense but it makes you know? sense that you would you would uh get the the Amish tone yeah you know since you were a child that's the tone that mm-hmm. was thrown at you and that's what you mimic and you actually form in your body the muscles that make that sound
0: right mm-hmm.
1: when you're young, and
0: your mind hears it. Your mind hears it, and I think yeah. that's a lot of it. You hear it, and then because you hear it, that's what you do with it. And of course, my vocal, whatever my voice is doing, it's still changing. I I notice it changes. Yeah. Uh, I I'm being influenced by other artists and people that I listen to that I really love what they do. I I, I try to pick up what they're doing. I'm not afraid to say that. You know, if I if yeah. I hear something that someone's doing, I'm like, oh, I really love that. I I, I try to do it.
1: Yeah. What's Picasso saying? Good artists borrow, great artists steal. Yeah, well, I'm a thief. (laughs) Me too. Me too. I'm a thief with all my heroes are thieves.
0: (laughs) Hi, everyone. This is Corey Fry. I'm the host of the Makers and Mystics Creative Collective. I want to let you know that starting Wednesday, September 1st
1: at 8 p.m. Eastern time, we're hosting our next online book club. This month, we'll be reading and discussing Mako Fujimora's latest book,
0: Art and Faith. This book club is open to all $10 and above patrons of the podcast. Follow the link in the show notes of this broadcast or visit patreon.com slash mystics to sign up. You're ever
1: bound to me. How old were you when you first heard music with instruments did you did you go out and go to the grocery store and hear music or
0: i would have been six or seven
1: okay yeah
0: yeah i would have been six yep. or seven
1: six or seven. yeah i wouldn't
0: have heard him i just wouldn't have been in a context before that to have heard him yeah so you know we left around christmas time and i think that's when i i would have been six and a half i guess yeah Or yeah, a little bit almost seven and um you know i still remember leaving dude it was crazy because like you leave at christmas time right so i like i go i step into this world where it's like everything felt like color well i mean for one like lights you know yeah like lights that aren't connected to kerosene hmm. but they're like you know bright and then music and it was just like what <laughs> i just remember i was like i might as well have been on an acid trip it was incredible i was just like i couldn't get enough of it because you know when you're kids kid you're curious anyway right yep mm-hmm. so it's just an overload of sense you know as we left
1: yep and how old were you when you left when you left the amish
0: so i was like i was almost seven i was six and a half
1: okay so you're still seven, pretty young almost
0: yeah i was young right yep. and and i hadn't quite learned english yet so
1: yep well, let me ask you this Where does the name Silicone Boone come from? What's the significance of the name Silicone Boone?
0: Well, um, I mean, I thought about it for a while. So, like, I I wanted to give a nod to my home state, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Even though I wasn't born here, I call it home because I grew up here. And, uh, you know, Daniel Boone is the Kentucky dude. Um, And then also, Boone, uh, Daniel Boone was an explorer and a pioneer. And... Um, i feel like at least the art that i create and certainly the reaches the record i created but i think the rest of it too it lends itself towards explorational mental i you know whatever kind of exploration and but it was also a bit tongue-in-cheek because i realized ah uh, you know i'm doing this from my basement with my guitar <laughs> so so i threw the word silicone in there just to kind of make fun of myself a little bit because yep. it's it's artificial aspects of it are artificial for sure (laughs) yeah
1: i love it you know because to me it it really says to me you know obviously i can't tell you who you are but like when i hear your music when i hear your voice when i read your lyrics i have two thoughts like i feel like i'm living in the future and the past at the same time Mm -hmm. like i hear like to me your voice sounds like dirt and the stars at the same time you know, oh, which, that's awesome! Ironically, they're made out of the same thing, right?
0: <laughs> they are, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. But it
1: sounds like the dirt and the stars. It sounds like the future and the past at the same time, and that's the, to me that's the Silicon Boom vibe. The reach is, I would imagine, is about being here and we are going there. I like that. Well, thank you, thank you.
0: Yeah, I like that take on the name though. You know, Silicon yeah. being the future and Boom being the past. Yeah. They say
2: the devil. Used to be an angel, but he never took up a laughing at himself. Billy is smiling. As you lay there dying, it's like watching you just shrug all the way to hell.
1: Well, let's talk about this real quick. This is Makers and Mystics, and you're a maker. You make music. Can we talk a little bit about your process? Yeah. Like how do you how do you write a song? People you know, people always ask lyric first or melody first or you know, but for you, how does a song start and do you have any rituals or any um rhythms to your to your writing?
0: Well, I I should. I, I find that the the writers that I really admire that or that produce a lot of work material have Rhythms that, and I don't necessarily do that. For one, I don't do it for a living. Mm -hmm. I do it because I love it, and I don't want to bore anybody. But I I guess for me, I mostly write melody first, and I don't know why. I just have always done that. I think for me, I let the melody lets me or informs me of the tone of the song. So one of the things I do love to do, John Mark, that I feel like I'm not horrible at is I can use different voices in a song, right? So I can write, I can write a song with the voice that sounds like it's a, an old white dude in Appalachia, or I can write a song with the voice of a poetic, you know, um, more like the reaches. So a lot of times the songs in the reaches have more of a poetic, universal kind of language, almost philosophical language. But I like exploring all the different kind of tones of voice. Yeah. And so I can, you know, whatever. So for me the melody tells me hey, this sh- this song should have this kind of voice. And then once I hear that I start writing lyrically in that voice.
2: Yeah.
0: Whether yep. it's, in, you know, inspirational like the the reaches tends to be inspirational or a lot of the songs I'm writing now for the current record aren't aren't inspirational i have a couple of songs that are inspirational but most of them are are more gritty so i'm writing in a more gritty tone
1: you know? Yep. yeah do you feel like you're sort of embodying a character or another person yeah, when you're that's writing? that's exactly yeah. it
0: yeah yeah i'm just method acting Yep. yeah so i don't write autobiographical a lot of people do i don't um i'm not interested in it for me it. i just not and but i'm i'm interested in other people's songs that are autobiographical it's fine it doesn't turn me off but you're right. So for me, I'm exploring a character and I'm method acting.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. I love it. Give me a couple thoughts about the song Europa.
0: Okay, yeah. So Europa is, Europa would be a kind of an example of what I just talked about uh, taking on the form of a character, right? or what you and I just talked about. So Europa is a story song, it's a murder ballad, and it probably doesn't have a ton of significance outside of that. If you don't like stories, you're not gonna like Europa. (laughs) So so if you're looking for some amazing insight, yeah, I don't know if you're gonna find it. It does play with nihilism a bit, but Europa is basically the story of a group of astronauts who land on Europa, of course, I don't know what you know about the science, but there's a sheath of ice. They don't know if it's like two miles thick or or, or three or four, but you know, uh, there's a sheath of ice and they think beneath the ice is an ocean. And scientists speculate that perhaps because it's been there for millions and millions and billions of years or whatever, I don't know how many billion, that perhaps life has evolved. Huh. And so these astronauts are gonna drill down to look and see if there's, life in Europa's womb. Of course, Europa is an ancient goddess. And I just play with the idea of Europa being a goddess. I personify her. She is barren, so she doesn't have life. She's been neglected, and she's uh, jealous. And so, she takes all these people's lives. She kills them all, right? Yep. And that's what the song is. Yeah, I love it. Song of-
1: <laughs> well, some people may not know how um important murder ballads are to oh yeah american music right it's so important yeah for sure it's because you don't hear a lot of them on the radio <laughs> but no no but
0: you did years ago so murder ballads if i can just say for i don't know i'll spend 60 seconds on it so illiterate people of course didn't they couldn't read they didn't have libraries. so think think uh first ireland and scotland right mm-hmm. and then these folks populate the appalachian mountains and they're isolated. They have a rich history of music, but they have no or very little education, and they have no libraries, and they have very little communication coming and going, right? So they live isolated lives in their little communities. Yeah. Well, what happens is you get oral traditions, and and because Appalachia, these very poor white people interconnected, so, at least economically, with, with poor black people, right? There was a trade of music. So you have African, uh, you know, slaves that bring the banjo over and develop their own style of music, which is obviously the most influential music in the United States ever, is, is, the, yeah. is the African tradition, uh, African-American tradition. But then the other uh, influential style would be probably the Irish Celtic. So. What you have are these people who tell stories to each other because that's their only way to entertain one another on a Saturday night, right, before they go to church on Sunday and pretend like they didn't do it, right? So they're drinking, and they're playing songs for one another, and the rated R version of our movies, what are rated R, were their murder ballads. Mm. And so they would write these murder ballads that were based on true stories, a lot of them, that they would hear or were in the newspaper. So there's one called The Knoxville Girl or whatever that I think was based on a true story. I'd I'd have to check that. But anyway, so there's this rich tradition of murder ballads where uh, it's basically an outlet for like rated R movies where people could enjoy the idea of violence in a safe environment just like we do when we watch our shows on netflix or whatever we're not really wanting to go out and get shot or have you know whatever but we sit there and kind of enjoy watching that world for whatever reason so they did that through murder ballots and um then they would go to church on sundays yeah. and sing <laughs> sing the opposite
1: <laughs> just like we do totally like me watching breaking bad <laughs> On Saturday night, yeah, yeah. you're gonna right? go to yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly.
2: From the wilds, we gazed, saw your arched back, your lands parched and cracked. We fashioned our swords, our guns, our shells, a single blood drop, a fallen war god,
1: glistening red. We saw. Talk to me real quick about about Mars.
0: Yeah, so Mars is a is a mythological song I, I had written when I went to I was in graduate school and I was trying to opt out of a biology class. And the professor said, hey, man, if you do some research for me, as long as your paper is good, uh, you know, and I knew I was going to be fine because I'm a good writer. So I write this amazing paper on Mars, and and it was research. It was scientific. It was like you know it was at that 2007 it was up to date. I'd done all the research I could up to date about what scientists knew about the planet in terms of water, water under the surface, uh, potential life, how it would look, the poles and what they're seeing at the poles, and I had these vivid pictures that I'd printed off. You know, went over the top. So anyway, I was living in this world of like whatever, and at the same time I'm li- listening to Bob Dylan, and so I was like. I I was listening to Dylan. I'm like, wow, he's, his his writing is so layered. And so I wanted to write a song about Mars that was layered, that was both partially scientific, but then also mythological, and then also kind of futuristic. Yeah. So that's what I set out to do was write a song that that plays with the myth of war, which is what Mars is named after, um, the history of war, and then but also our propensity towards violence, but then also kind of taking Sagan's idea of what would it, you know, what would it look like if we terraformed, we took all of our energy rather than building bombs, we terraformed planets and could we, could we do that? And so I played with that idea. So it's kind of a juxtaposition between violence and agriculture. I guess you could go to Cain and Abel really in some ways, yeah. you know. I know that's what but, I always
1: heard was Cain and Abel yeah. and the blood that cried from the, from the yeah. ground, right? Man. Mm-hmm. I love hearing about your songs, man. Let me ask you one last question here. Sure. How do you feel like your music, because this is Makers and Mystics, how do you feel like your music is connected to your spiritual life? Is there a... Yeah, it is. is. It is?
0: Yeah, it really is. Uh, I consider myself a Christian. I was obviously raised that way. And I certainly believe in God. I... All this, whatever you want to hear, uh, all the you know, this deconstruction thing. I mean, I I can't remember a time that I wasn't going through some kind of deconstruction. So for me, it's just a lifestyle. Yeah. And it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really affect my belief in God. And what I would say is, I find whatever God is, and not that any of us really know, but I find God in songs like Born in the USA, uh, I find God in Dylan songs, and I find God in Paul Simon songs, like in your songs, John Mark, like the, the one you just released that I told you, I was like, man, it reminds me. See, like, even like if I can say something about Paul Simon, one of the things that I appreciate about Paul Simon that I don't see in Bob Dylan so much, and this is not, it's not fair to compare artist to artist, but Paul Simon is so capable of being optimistic without being naive, right? Bob Dylan tends to be a bit more cynical. Now, yeah. I do say like, okay, so Bruce Springsteen, who I also love, he's very optimistic, but he can kind of be a little bit idealistic at times, which I actually love. I, that doesn't bother me, but it will bother some people, right? But Paul Simon somehow delivers the optimism with no idealism. And anyway, I, I, I it's kind of a rabbit trail. But so for me when I when I'm making records even if I'm writing a murder battle like Europa to me it feels like a spiritual exercise. I feel like I'm I don't know, I'm serving um I'm serving the universe and you know in creating these stories that are beautiful and interesting and and that I find interesting anyway, you know. Yeah. And so for me um that's what I would call spiritual but i you know i listen to phosphorescent and, i mean heck i like josh ritter i think josh ritter's uh get uh what's it called getting ready to get down or do you know that song
2: mm-hmm.
0: getting ready to get down about a, a a girl who went to a baptist school in missouri right
2: yeah
0: i think that song's awesome and i think it's super spiritual and i think it's true yeah like i have cousins who grew up in that world hmm. and i actually think it's true so for me uh for something to be spiritual it doesn't have to agree with my personal perspective always you know it just has to be
1: true has to be real yep i love it sam thanks so much for doing this man you're one of my favorites and i hope there are people who haven't heard your music yet who are going to go listen to your music because well yeah
0: man thanks for having me yeah this was awesome come
2: my brother come my
1: thank you for listening to today's conversation be sure to visit patreon.com slash makersandmystics for exclusive Patreon-only content. And see the show notes of this episode for links to today's guests.
2: Doubter, believe find that heaven's in your grass. Come my brother